I'm still wondering how a Cubs fan snuck into one of our videos, but uh, I guess there's room at the cross for everyone, right? Isn't that how it goes? But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> wow, man, rough, rough start. My bad, my bad. <laughs> Hey, we want to welcome you here today. Uh, so good to be with you. Uh, my name is Paul Mumma. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, man, if I haven't seen you for a bit, uh, we have uh, took some vacation as a family. We're also doing something this summer where all of our teaching pastors are moving around to both of our campuses. So you get to hear me today, and Kevin will be here next week, and then Steve and Ben the weeks after that. And so uh, we've got some good things that are happening. But man, if you call Genesis your church, uh, we love having you. Glad that uh, you're here with us today. If, uh, if you're new with us, maybe uh, maybe somebody invited you to come. Uh, again, great to have you along. Maybe you wandered in here looking for a Pikachu or something like that, playing Pokemon Go. And uh, if that's the case, we want you to know that you're welcome uh, here with us as well. We are, we're glad uh, to have you. I'd like to, to pray as we get started this morning, if we could. Father in heaven, uh, it is a good day. And uh, we love you, Lord. And we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. We are grateful for this place uh, that we can come to as a church uh, God, thank you for all the good things uh, that you are doing in our lives and all the ways that you bless our church and people here today. Lord, we need your help, Father. Uh, we, are, we are desperate for you. And as a church, as followers of Christ, we just continue turning to you for our hope. We need your help in our world right now, in our country, and uh, with these racial uh, tensions that are taking place, Lord. Let us be people of love. Let us uh, be peacemakers and sharing the hope of Jesus with others and just with all the conflict around our world right now, Lord. Give us this confident reminder today that, that we have your Son as a Savior, that you've made a way through Jesus Christ, and uh, Lord, we just want to keep our eyes focused on you uh, and, and live for you today. And that's what we're talking about today. Father. And so, um, as we've just prayed, as we've asked, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to come into this place, uh, would you open up our hearts now to hear from you? Would you guide and direct us? Uh, show us how you want us to live in these times. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, have you ever, uh, have you ever found yourself <clears throat> uh, in a situation uh, where you totally felt like an outsider. I mean, just just completely feel out of place. I, I sort of feel like that anytime I get around hunters, all right? You know, I'm not a hunting kind of a guy. I appreciate guys that do that, but I always feel a little out of place when we're talking about hunting or talking about motorcycles, bikes, or something like that. I feel feel like that anytime I, I you know, I, I go and I'll, I'll run on the treadmill, you know, at, the, at LA Fitness, but anytime I wander over to the weights portion of LA Fitness, you know, I feel a little out of place, like everyone uh, is looking at me a bit. Uh, you ever, ever feel like that? You ever have a moment like that? Maybe uh, ever found yourself in a situation where you feel a little underdressed? You know, like you show up, you know, business casual men only to, to discover that it's kind of a, sh a, a shirt and tie, you know, sort of a deal. And so you have that awkward feeling, uh, you know, just knowing you were underdressed a bit. But uh, it works the other way too. Like uh, we, uh, prior to living here in Noblesville, we lived for three years in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And, you know, we laugh you know, whenever we hear Kentucky, you know, the Kentucky people are these foreigners, these strangers, you got to have a visa, you know, to go and work there or something. But uh, we lived in Louisville and Louisville's not that much different. You know, it's not that much different than Indy, but I'll tell you what, you get outside of the city a few miles and things really change. Like I was working at a church in Louisville and I was asked to do a funeral for a family that lived about 20 or 30 minutes outside of Louisville. And I had no connection with the family, but they needed a pastor. And so here I was, this city boy showing up for this funeral. And it, it gets a little bit more Kentucky, you know, right? As soon as you get outside of Louisville. And so I, I still remember feeling a little out of place 
on that day. Do you ever, you ever feel out of place as a Christian today? Ever, ever find yourself in moments or in uh, circumstances or in situations where you just feel a little out of place uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ? If I'm honest with you, I do. Uh, I'm feeling it more and more uh, just today and everything that's going on around us. I mean, I'm uneasy about our time, uh, uneasy about it at times. I mean, as I, as I continue watching our culture uh, shift or uh, drift, I, I'm sensing it. I, I'm sensing this growing hostility towards Christians uh, and against churches, particularly those uh, Christians or churches that would uh, embrace a biblical worldview. And so it's got me wondering about my own life and circumstances and even our church of the future. It gets me wondering a little bit about my kids and the kind of world that they're growing up in. And so if I'm honest, it, it, it does. It makes me a little nervous. And uh, these are interesting times. You know, would you agree with that? I mean, these are interesting times that we're living in right now. And there's so much happening in our world. There's so much increasing pressure on Christians. And so, you know, think about all those times. You know, have you had some of those moments where you're sort of left thinking, you know, what's my course of action as a follower of Jesus Christ here? How, how am I supposed to respond in this moment? And the fact is, the truth is that we've all got options. I mean, even as followers of Christ, you've got options for how you live and how you live in this world. I mean, when it, when it comes to this culture that's sort of trending in the opposite direction, of our beliefs right now, as followers of Jesus, we have options. Some of those options might include things like, you know what, as Christians, we could declare war. And some will do that. And we run up against people, you run up against people and Christians, that their, their kind of focus, their view, their perspective in living in this world is let's declare war, let's fight back, we'll protest everything, you know, we'll go after, we'll be as loud as we possibly can, we'll fight and push back. And so some people choose to live that way. There are others that uh, sort of isolate themselves from everything that's happening in the culture. And so they'll draw back, you know, they'll, they'll isolate themselves, they'll, they'll get as far away from, you know, the public, from the school schools or get as far away from culture as possible. And so you isolate yourselves, you isolate your family and everyone and kind of your motive or your mission or your outlook is let's write it out. All right. Let's just kind of survive what's happening because Jesus is coming back. And then there are even others that will just say, you know what, I'd rather blend in. You know, as a follower of Christ, I'll just figure out how to blend in this world, kind of go undercover, uh, keep the peace, or, you know, just kind of change the way that I see things, or even change my beliefs to better fit in. And so what's the right answer, right? I mean, what's the right answer for today? What's the right course of action? Again, with everything going on in our world, is there anything that is certain? Like, what, what's the most important thing that we can focus on as followers of Christ today? Well, I believe the Lord has an answer uh, for us, uh, for in, you and me, and for that question today. And to better uh, understand or consider the answer to that question, I'd like for you to turn, uh, if you would, in your Bibles, um, in the New Testament, uh, more towards the end of your Bible, but to the uh, New Testament book of 1 Peter. First uh, Peter. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, Peter, if you don't know, was a disciple of Jesus. He was an apostle of Jesus. Uh, now, apostle was someone who had been appointed or given special authority. That's the case with Peter. Again, he's an apostle of Jesus, a leader in the first century church. Uh, and this is, again, the same Peter who had spent time with and been discipled by Jesus. Well, uh, when he writes this letter, when he writes this uh, First Peter epistle, uh, if you would, this is, a, this is post-Easter. Right? Jesus 
Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so it's around AD 60. And uh, Peter writes this letter to first century Christians who are living under the tyrannical leadership of the Roman emperor of the time, a guy by the name of Nero. Now, history records that Nero reigned five years, that he was this uh, crazy psychopath, uh, really. And, and history records that he set fire to the city of Rome, thinking that he'd rebuild it uh, and make it stronger uh, by doing so. Now, not everyone appreciated this plan, and uh, his approval number sort of dropped, you know, uh, during this plan of burning down the city, and so he, he came up with this comeback sort of plan. He blamed the Christians for it. All right, blame the Christians for burning Rome. Well, from there, he unleashed a period of inhumane torture and persecution uh, against every Christian that he could possibly get his hands on. And so he'd, he'd capture Christians uh, and then set them loose, uh, only to be hunted down by wild dogs, or he was known to having taken many Christians, uh, covering them with wax, uh, hanging them in the public gardens of the city, setting them on fire so that people could watch them burn alive. Even Peter, the one who's writing this letter to Christians living during this day, uh, would eventually be arrested and crucified upside down. I, I just tell you all this to give you a little background information. I want you to know what Peter's listeners are up against as he writes these words. And so the, the Christians, you could say that Peter is writing to, they're living under the gun. And well, if you think we live in interesting times, consider what these, these men and women and students are up against. And so what Peter is about to call Christians to, uh, we should have no problem with, right? I mean, piece of cake uh, for you and me. Let's find out. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's Peter's letter to these Christians. He says this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he introduces himself to them. He says, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so who's he writing to here? All right, if you look at this verse, first verse, he first calls them God's elect, all right? And so these are the Jewish and Gentile Christians of the day. Uh, it's the men and women and students who have trusted Christ and made a commitment to follow Jesus in this world. But I want you to also notice how he calls them exiles. And uh, some translations say words like strangers. Uh, maybe your Bible will say something like foreigners. Uh, in the NIV, it's exiles. And an exile is just someone who is passing through all right, this is actually the Greek word peripitomoi. All right, it's translated as someone who is living temporarily uh, in a foreign land. And so don't miss here what Peter is reminding them. Uh, and what's true of them is still true of us today. He's saying, he's pointing out that as followers of Jesus Christ, you need to know that we're strangers, we're foreigners in this world. I mean, it's the fact, it's the truth. I mean, we're, we're exiles on this planet. This isn't our permanent home. We're just passing through. And so I wanna just point out today that if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ uh, with your life, uh, and if you're taking notes, you wanna write this down. See, the truth is that earth is not your permanent address. All right, this isn't your permanent address. I mean, when you, when you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, your citizenship was transferred from this world to heaven which just means it's supposed to get a little uncomfortable. Uh, there's gonna be some uneasy, uh, nervous times in your life. You, you can expect people to look at you funny. Uh, you can expect people to say things. You can expect people to reject you. We won't get into this much today, but you can expect some persecution 
in your life because we're strangers, we're foreigners in this world, we're exiles, we're just passing through. There's supposed to be attention uh, to our lives because this earth is not our home. He continues in verse two again, speaking to God's exiles, writing to these people. He says, you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, I want you to miss that Peter wants to make sure that we understand our identity here. All right, he's getting an identity. He points to God who he gives all credit for our salvation. This is God who sent Jesus Christ. Like he had a solution to the problem. All right, God sent Jesus for us who gave his life, who gave his life on the cross and, and he rose from the dead. And so our life is in him. All right, for these people, uh, their hope comes from him. And so as Christians, and as he points out very specifically, we are his chosen people, which means that he's got big things in mind. Uh, that this God of ours, that he has a plan, uh, that he has a purpose for all things. He's got a mission in mind. And what are we chosen for? Notice that we are chosen, as Peter writes here, to be obedient, that we are called to obedience. Peter is encouraging these followers of Christ living in this difficult world to live an obedient life. We'll come back to why that's important in a few minutes. But here's what I want you to see uh, that, I, that is in these first two verses. Here's something I want you to see. Uh, first, Peter emphasizes that this earth is temporary for us. All right, it's a temporary home, that our ultimate place, our home is in heaven. But second, because we are chosen, there is a reason, there is a purpose for our stay. There is a reason and a purpose for your life right now in this world. And next, he's going to present a strategy of sorts for that kind of living. I mean, what do we do? I mean, how, how should we live and operate in this world that we are called to? Verse three says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance uh, is kept in heaven for you. You know, we've been uh, talking about the attributes of God this summer and another of God's attributes that we're not going to spend one of our weekends on, but is the attribute of his mercy, uh, that this God of ours is a merciful God, that he has compassion, that he is full of love for people, people just like you and me. And it's because of that mercy that he made a way for us through Jesus Christ. And, and I think that's worth noting. I think that's worth emphasizing here today, especially if you're new, that no one is beyond the love of God. There, there is no one that is beyond the love of our God. And uh, there's nothing that you can do to disqualify yourself from that love and that grace of our God. See, the good news is that with Jesus Christ, there is a way out. Uh, the, the good news is that with Jesus Christ, there's a way through, you know, whatever it is that you're going through in your life right now. I mean, that's why Easter for us is really good news. It is the good news that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has risen from the dead. And what that means for you and me is that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you commit your life to following him, the scriptures say you are made new. You are a new person. Uh, and it's like you've been given a new life, a, a new body, a new heart, a, a new perspective, a new mission, a new purpose, a fresh start with God. Peter calls it this living hope. And so the implication for Christians here, these Christians that Peter is writing to, but for you and me as well, is that this world is not our home. 
And because we belong to Jesus Christ, then there should be this joy, there should be this peace about us and in your life, and it should mark you forever. I mean, isn't it true that Christians, I mean, if you get to the really heart of it, if we really take for truth what Peter is saying here, shouldn't Christians be the most hope-filled people on the planet right now? Man, that got me thinking this week about my life. Does it get you thinking about yours? Or are you living one of the most hope-filled lives right now? for the people around you and your work and in your school and the people you come in contact with each day. It's a, it's a joy, it's a hope in us that says that no matter what you're going through, uh, no matter the struggles, no matter the challenges, I mean, we're just reminded that we're passing through that this earth is a temporary place for us. It's not our permanent address. And it's so, so therefore, it means that our trials are temporary and that pain and Things like pain and suffering and confusion are temporary. Now, it doesn't mean that you got to be happy and giggly all the time about every little thing and every little circumstance that you go through in life. But no matter what, at the very heart of it, I mean, you just know when you're reminded that this world isn't your home, that this is a temporary place for us. I, uh, I, there was a book that I read and finished on vacation, uh, a book I came across at the library called The Long Walk, uh, a true story about a, a Polish man, a Polish officer uh, who was captured by the Soviets uh, in the late 1930s. And uh, he was tried, a man by the name of Slavomir Ravich, I think is how you pronounce his name or something. But he, he was captured. He was sentenced to 25 years of uh, slave labor in a Siberian gulag camp. And so uh, he was transported by train over months deep into Siberia and became a prisoner uh, at this work camp in 1941. Well, later in that same year, he and six other men escaped uh, from this work camp. And over the course of a year and a half, uh, they traveled by foot nearly 4,000 miles, walking out of Siberia uh, through the Gobi Desert, uh, across the mountains, eventually uh, into India, which was their ultimate destination where the British forces were able to reclaim them and bring them back to health. It's, it's a, a, a credible story of hospitality, of people that they met along the way, an incredible story of survival and just the extreme conditions that they went through in the desert and in the mountains, again, just trying to survive. I, I came across... Uh, uh, so, some words from a psychologist that talked about these World War II survivors and what it took uh, for, for many of them to survive camps like these and eventually become free again. And this one particular psychologist referred to the importance of having a fixed reference point beyond their current circumstances. And I think that's what Peter's getting at for you and me too, that uh, what, what is so helpful for us, the hope that we have, it, just the importance of having a fixed reference point beyond our current circumstances. Peter is saying, you, you as Christians, you need to have a fixed reference point beyond the current circumstances of this world. This world is temporary for us. We are exiles. We are just passing through. He, he says again in verse three, he says, in his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. And so that this prize that he's referring to, this inheritance, is eternal life uh, with God, all right? But that's a life that starts when you trust Christ as your Savior, uh, all right? And it, but it's also heaven before us one day, a day when there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain, and we'll, we'll be with Jesus and no one's going to take that away from you. No one's going to take that away from these people. And so what Peter reminds these Christians again is that no matter what happens, no one's going to take this prize, all right? No one's going to take this inheritance from you. And 
Now that Peter has established identity, all right, that these people are God's chosen, that we are God's chosen, we are his children. Again, this earth is not our home. We're just passing through. Next, he's going to help us understand how to best live from that place. And so skip over, if you would, uh, to verse 13, because it's with verse 13 that Peter begins to turn the corner. And it's almost like you can hear him saying, okay, because of who you are, all right, and because of this hope that you have, even with everything going on in the world right now, Peter's gonna say, I want you to be different and I want you to be distinctive in your living. Verse 13, he says, therefore, and that's the transition word, all right, again, almost as if you can hear Peter saying, all right, now because of who you are, all right, and to the question again that we asked at the beginning, with everything that we have going on in the world today, what can we be sure of, all right, as followers of Jesus? He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed it is coming. Peter says, because of who you are, again, and because of what God has done for you in Jesus, here's what should happen in your life. He says, <clears throat> be alert, uh, fully sober in your living. Basically, don't, don't be un uninformed, you know, in regards to what's happening around you. Stay informed, be alert, don't, don't coast through life. Peter says, don't, don't turn your back on culture and pretend like nothing is wrong. Don't be naive to the struggles that you're going through, but be alert, be intentional, don't lose sight of the hope that you have. And because of the hope that you have, here's what it means for you. Verse 14, as obedient children, <clears throat> do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in arrogance. Now, there's the obedience that I said that we'd come back to. Peter says, as followers of Jesus Christ, he says, do not conform. Now, that word means to be molded, all right? Basically, that when it comes to the world that we're living in today, when it comes to the culture that we're in, don't just conform, all right, don't just go along with the flow, all right? Don't, don't give up what you've been taught. Don't, don't become complacent or, or believe what everyone believes. Don't just make it your goal to live at peace, you know, for the sake of keeping the peace. He says, don't go back to living the way that you used to live. Now, why? Because you belong to God now. You are a child of God in this world. You're like a foreigner, a stranger here. And then in verse 15, he says this. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Peter says, be holy in all you do. Even for these people 2,000 years ago, living under this tyrannical leadership and the thoughts and the fears of possibly that day being the last day of their life, Peter says, here's what I want you to set your sights on. Here's what you can be sure of. Be holy in all you do. Be holy because the Lord our God is holy. It's like Peter says, here's the mold. Here's what I want you to pattern your life after. It's the holiness of God. And it doesn't shift and it doesn't change and it doesn't move and it doesn't get modified or amended, but it's the holiness of God. And we've been in this series, as you know, this summer, a series called The Father Is, again, where we're studying these different attributes of God and thinking about what they mean for our lives. An attribute of God is just something uh, simply that, that's something that is true of God. And what we discover today is that the Father is holy. Now, one of the attributes of God is that the Father is holy. Our God, our Father is holy. And by holy, we mean that he is separate. By holy, we mean that he is set apart. The scriptures say this of our God, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, who among the gods is like you, Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, 
Psalm 22, verse 3, the writer says, yet, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, Solomon says, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. To, to say God is holy is to say that he is separate, that he is separate from all evil, that he knows no sin. Uh, to say God is holy means that he can't tolerate sin. Again, that he is distinct that he is different than, than anything else. God, God's holiness means that he is on a completely different plane than all of us as the creator, you know, we being his creation, that he has absolute power over anything and everything in this world, that he is above us and beyond us. Uh, R.C. Sproul describes him and his holiness as an infinite cut above everything else. It's kind of like this. They, they say that when Leonardo da Vinci was painting his famous Last Supper painting, uh, that he had little difficulty uh, with most of it, that the greatest challenge in painting the Last Supper was everything except for the faces uh, of the people in this particular painting, that that was the, the most difficult. And so he eventually did all the other work, and then he went to work on the faces, painting one face after another, and all of them came easier to him than he much expected. All that is except for the face of Jesus. And so uh, history records that he just kept holding off, uh, holding off to the last possible second, unwilling to approach it, but knowing that he must. And then finally, in a moment of despair, he just painted it quickly and then left saying, that's just the way it's going to be. There's no use. I can't paint it. I wonder if that's a fraction of what the prophet Isaiah experienced. Isaiah 6 is one of the more famous passages, more well-known passages highlighting the holiness of God. And here in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, he encounters God and he falls to his face before the Lord. And in his terror, Isaiah overhears the angels worshiping and praising God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We sang that song just a moment ago. Now here's something interesting about that. For Old Testament writers, there were these different techniques uh, in writing to indicate emphasis. And one such method was repetition of words. And so there are places all throughout the Bible, uh, including in the New Testament, where, where people like Jesus are recorded of saying things like, truly, truly, I say unto you. And whenever you read something like that, where a word is repeated twice, uh, well, it was a method, all right? It, it was done intentionally. And so for a New Testament reader, especially back 2,000 years ago, they'd read something like this, and they were immediately signaled that, okay, this is of critical importance, all right, we need to pay attention to what's happening here. But to mention something three times in succession is to what is referred to sometimes to refer to it to the superlative degree. Basically, this is super important. There is nothing else like it. And so to read holy, holy, holy three times in Isaiah and again in Revelation, while well, anyone reading this in ancient times would know to listen up. This is of great importance. And as far as I know, holiness is the only thing that is repeated in such a manner in all of the Scripture. See, the Father is holy. He is holy, and He is separate, and He is set apart, and He's distinct. And as difficult as it may be for us to get our minds around something like that, as Christians, we are called to be holy too. We are called to be holy like our God. We, we were made holy once and for all, when we trusted Christ by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, God perceives us as holy because of what Christ has done on our behalf. But holiness, when applied to Christians, means that we live our lives devoted, that we see our lives as having been set apart, 
that we've been called out for service, for something very intentional in our, this world. We know and we realize that this, this world may not be our home, but, but for now we are here again. We are his chosen people. We are his exiles in this land. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be set apart. We are to be called out for a greater purpose, distinct. And I don't know about you, but that's hard for us at times. And that's hard for us today because so often in life, it's easier to fit in. And we want to fit in and we want to blend in and we don't, or we, we don't want to be left out, all right, because we're living our lives distinct and so we want to be included and we want to be a part of things. I mean, it's difficult to live a holy life when living a holy life means that we're going to live in the minority. I ran across an article uh, this past week called the rise of the redheads, all right? And uh, yes, it turns out that there has been some backlash uh, amongst the ginger community. Uh, I think that's the right terminology. That's what the article refers to. But outrage over the fact that there are very few, if any, redheaded emojis uh, for phones, all right? And uh, if you don't know what an emoji is, those are those little faces that people put in their texts. Uh, well, at the time that this article was written, they, they had estimated there were something like 700 different emojis out there, and not one of them has red hair. And so the redheads are upset, and you don't want to get the redheads upset uh, over anything. And so they've started a petition. There are a group of people that have started a petition demanding redheaded emojis, uh, and why? Well, because they don't want to be left out, all right? Uh, now, now, the rest of us, especially if you're not a redhead, you look at something, you hear something like that, and we think, well, that's kind of silly, all right? Why would we get upset over something like that? But we only get upset because we're not redheads. But, I mean, if, if you're a part of that group, all right, where an emoji is included, well, again, you know, you have no reason to be upset. But if you're left out, if that's your identity and you're not a part of it, if you're not on the list, well, there's some pain, there's some frustration in being left out. See, it's just our human nature that we don't wanna be left out and we want to be included and it's easier to blend in. But what Peter is saying to these Christians and to you and me is, look, you're gonna be called increasingly to live this holy, set-apart, distinct life and it's gonna be hard for you, but we must. Peter says we must. Because the truth is that if you're going to live for the Lord today, and if you're going to faithfully follow Jesus in this world, you need to know right now that it's going to be hard for you. And I know that, you know, for middle school students or high school students, especially if you go off to a conference and you get all fired up and you come back, all right, those are great things. And those, you know, those moments are going to leave an impression on your life forever. You just need to know, you need to be aware that when you go back to school here in just a couple of weeks, it's going to be hard for you. All right? This, this, this world is not our home. This is a temporary place, but we're called to this distinct, holy sort of life. College students, you know, whether you're going back to a state university this fall or even a private university this fall, you, you know better than anyone that those can be very difficult places to live, to exist as followers of Jesus Christ. It's true. I think Peter would acknowledge that today. But yet at the same time, we're called to live these distinct, set-apart holy lives. The same is true in your workplace in increasing measure, you know, as a follower of Jesus Christ today. The same is true in your neighborhood, all right? All right, Peter would agree. He would acknowledge, yes, I know it's not easy. In increasing measure, it's going to get even more difficult, but it doesn't change what we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ to this distinct, holy sort of life. Peter knew the struggle, and so what he's going to do in the next seven to eight verses is remind them again that, hey, Jesus is 
coming back. And because we know that God has saved us through Jesus uh, and our inheritance is in heaven, we're reminded we belong to him. And because we belong to him, here's how we must live. Peter says, holy lives. It's a call to holy living. And so what do we need to do today? What does God expect from us as followers of Jesus? What's holiness look like for us? Well, Peter gets into that a little more specifically as you turn over into chapter two. This is where he helps us understand a little bit more of what that means. He gives us a picture of what that looks like. He just simply says this, because you have been called now to a holy life, look at 1 Peter chapter two, verse one. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, that word malice is really just sort of a general term for for sin, uh, for evil in our lives. I like the way that Eugene Peterson says this in the message. He says, because you've been called to a holy life, he writes it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 1. He says, "So, so clean house now. Basically, when it comes to your personal life, sin has to go. All right, don't tolerate it. Don't put up with it any longer. He says, make a clean sweep of malice and pretense, envy, and hurtful talk. And so what Peter does here, and if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, is Peter begins by defining holiness as what we get rid of, all right? The sin that that must go, it's repentance language, all right? That we're not going to tolerate personal sin in our lives any longer. And so he says, rid yourselves of things like deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. It's not an exhaustive list, but I think we start to get the point. And the point is that sin has to go. Don't be satisfied, Peter says, with sin in your life. He says, clean house. Holiness is getting rid of personal sin. It's choosing uh, to say that I'm not gonna tolerate sin in my life any longer. And then in verse two, he helps us see the other side of it. He says, now like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And so we wanna see that first, holiness is what you get rid of the sin that you're not gonna tolerate any longer. Secondly, it has everything to do then with what you crave. And what we should crave as followers of Jesus today is godliness and holiness. Again, holiness has everything to do with what we get rid of, but it's not just what we get rid of. If you spend all of your time focusing on just getting rid of sin, well, that so quickly turns into legalism but it has to be what we pursue as well. It's what we give our lives to. And so Peter says, now as you get rid of this sin, crave pure spiritual milk. He's thinking about God's word. He's thinking about how we should every day and in increasing measure pursue our relationship with Jesus Christ more and more. See, the truth is, and I know that I don't need to tell you this, but Jesus is our greatest example of holiness. And he's God's son who came to the earth. And we know that even though he was tempted, there was no sin in his life. Jesus pursued God with all of his heart. He was fully dependent on God. And he studied the scripture every day. And he let the word of God serve as the foundation for his life. And he loved people. And he took time each day to be alone with the Lord in prayer. And he lived under guidance of the Holy Spirit. And he allowed his direction to be determined by the Holy Spirit in his life. And of all of the resources that were available to Jesus the scriptures remind us that everything that he had available to him, you and I have available to us too. See, because Jesus lived a holy life, you and I, we can live a holy life. And what can we be sure of? Well, 1 Peter 1:15 again, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so Peter says, get rid of the sin in your life. Don't tolerate it any longer. Crave a relationship with Jesus. Holiness is just as much of what we pursue.
pursuing Jesus every day. And here's something that's interesting, and I, I heard a friend point this out in a message as I was studying this passage this week. He, who, who does Peter call the holiness? It's, it's not a trick question. Christians, right? Like, that's who he's talking to. I mean, notice that he's not calling the culture out. Uh, Peter doesn't expect non-Christians to live a holy life. He, he's not expecting non-Christians to live as followers of Jesus should. Don't you think maybe it's possible that we should quit expecting non-Christians to live like Christians when they know nothing else? I mean, seriously, we, we keep expecting people far from the Lord to clean their own house so that we can once and for all finally clean up this country of ours when maybe we've got it all wrong. That indeed, if we really want to see change in our country, if we really want to see people turning to the Lord, maybe it's time we as Christians and as a church focus more of our efforts on cleaning up our own house so that we can be a better light and a better influence for the people around us. I was reading my Bible yesterday morning and working through a devotional that I started back at the beginning of the year, and the writer of this devotional was talking about revival, and he said something interesting about revival in America It went something like this. He said, revival in America isn't going to happen when non-Christians start turning to the Lord. Revival in America is going to happen when Christians repent and start turning their hearts back to the Lord. And it just caused me to ask today, where's the problem? Where should our focus be? What can we be sure of? And so you see Peter just calling Christians to a holy life, even amongst the persecution, even in the pain, getting rid of sin, you know, making repentance a part of your daily walk, pursuing God and our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing that we have. And then here's what he says before we close what results from it. First Peter 2 verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. He says, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's just calling out that the more we pursue holiness, the more we seek to rid our lives of sin and pursue Jesus, the more we're gonna be given the opportunity to share our story and to share our faith and our hope with others and not out of pride, all right? This holiness that Peter is talking about is not about arrogance, all right? This isn't self-righteousness sort of talk. That's not what we're after, but it's about having a different perspective, a living hope, living our lives in obedience, loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without it, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Why aren't more people coming to the Lord today? Why, why are more and more people turned off by the thought of church or of Jesus? Could it be our sin? Like, could, could it be my sin? Like, could it be my preoccupation with so many things other than Jesus and my or our lack of holiness? Could it, could it be that they're not the problem, but again, of just seeing that I'm part of the problem? But Peter's hopeful, and he's an optimist, and I want us to be hopeful and to be optimists and faithful people too. And so finally, in verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul and to live such good lives amongst the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so Peter says, make it your point to become increasingly holy in all that you do. And it doesn't mean that people will like you. And it doesn't mean that the more and more you pursue holiness, that people won't still look at your life and frown and say things or question what you do. But what if they start asking? What if they start asking, why is it that you live the way you live? Why is it that you have the outlook that you have? Will we be ready then to share our answer? See, these are interesting times. And one thing we can be sure of as followers of Jesus is the earth isn't our home. We are living as exiles here. Christ has risen from the dead. He's defeated sin. And so we want to choose a life of holiness where every day we rid ourselves, we repent of our sin, and we instead make it our focus to pursue Jesus, to look to Jesus with all of our heart and with all of our soul and strength and sharing that good news of hope and that message of hope with others around us. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we know that you are our hope, that Jesus is our hope, our living hope, and that he doesn't disappoint. And that even when we look at or consider our present challenges, we know we have this hope that we can find strength in Jesus, the one who gives us joy. He's the one that can help us overcome sin. He's the one that can help us live a life of holiness in this world. And so we pray, Father, we pray those words of Peter right now, Lord, that you would help us as foreigners of exiles to abstain from sinful desires in this world. But Lord, we want to live our lives amongst the people here as Jesus would. And though others may accuse us of doing wrong, Father, we pray that they may see our good deeds and glorify you and turn to you and know you, Lord, that we will see revival and change in this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.